The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, February 26th, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The U.S. and Russia have negotiated a ceasefire in Syria. Great idea. It was agreed to by the Assad regime and the Syrian opposition. How great is this a deal? Well, it's a ceasefire. It will go into effect soon. But... It does not include stopping firing upon the Islamic State. So while John Kerry gets bashed up and down in Republican circles for being the worst secretary of state ever, the guy negotiates a ceasefire that doesn't require us to cease firing. So how have we been firing? Yes. This is a briefing. They do this every day in the Pentagon. February 26, 2016. Strikes in Syria. Attack fighter ground attacks and remotely piloted aircraft conducted 14 strikes strikes in Syria, and they list them all. They got a gas and oil separation plant. They got a crude oil collection point near uh, Raqqa. Two strikes struck an ISIL staging area. What a ceasefire. Could someone give credit to John Kerry? You guys stop firing, but we're still going to take out the terrorists. You know, I could talk about this more and more, but there's another really serious issue I need to get to. Also, well, a little less undercovered. Full House. Full House is back. Fuller House. Not Never been a fan of Full House. Simple explanation. It's a little bit about demographics, a little bit about gender, mostly about taste. Just not into horrible television. I like better than horrible television. My guilty pleasures are your aspirational television. Anyway, I was reading in the New York Times them saying, Netflix aims for family-friendly nostalgia with new slate of offerings. They quote the woman from Netflix as saying, We see movies taking more of a front seat on the weekend and those family films climbing to the top list ladder. Our conclusion was families are looking for things to watch together. Here's the problem with saying that Fuller House is family friendly. I'm part of the family. I'm the dad. Without me, there'd be no family. Do not make me watch Fuller House. Families include dads. Dads don't want to watch Fuller House. You know, I don't want to raise the snobbish kids, the kids who are, you know, these kids, the nine-year-olds who clearly are parroting their parents' opinions, who sniff and say, well, you know, the man who wasn't there is kind of lesser Cohen brothers. But if that means that they will say, oh, Fuller House, who wants to watch that, then I've done my job as a dad. I saw Jody Sweeten. She was one of the actresses on Fuller House. She played, I don't know, the one who's not Kirk Cameron's sister, the one who's not the twins. All right, she's the other one. And they asked her a question about her past struggles, and everyone nodded like we knew about Jody Sweeten's past struggles. So I said to myself, well, it's either meth or porn. Go on the website. It's kind of both little bit of meth, and there was this notation that she was the host of the second season of Pants Off, Dance Off. As the host, I don't know if she had to take her pants off. But anyway, this is the thing about Jodie Sweetin that I most liked. She's been married a few times, and the latest husband was a guy named Morty Coyle. He's a musician, a DJ, and she recently broke up with him, thereby literally shuffling off this Morty Coyle. But keep it here live on this show as I spiel about a crazy 24 hours in presidential politics. What a country. But first, he was the co-creator of The Chappelle Show. He's Dave Chappelle. No, (laughs) no one ever credits Dave Chappelle that way, right? He's the other guy with the brilliant comic mind, and he's doing a one-man show. He's Neil Brennan.
Neil Brennan is a guy I've known of and watched his work for a while, but until I started really deeply diving into this segment, I didn't realize just how much cultural product he's responsible for. Well, he's a co-creator of The Chappelle Show. He had that great podcast called The Champs with Moshe Kasher, and he even directed that Seth Rogen, Amy Schumer commercial that was on during the Super Bowl. I didn't know that. Basically, if you watch, if you watch Seth Meyer, just watch late night comedy. The skinny guy in glasses will show up crack wise. And then you're like, oh, that's Neil Brennan. Well, Neil Brennan now has a one man show, one man, but three microphones. In fact, that's the name of the show. It's at the Lynn Redgrave Theater. How has Lynn Redgrave informed the performance that we're going to Only say? totally. <laughs> uh, the third greatest Redgrave. What are the three mics? Explain this because you explain it right off the bat. Yeah. People will say, wait, there's one guy, but three mics. Why? And as you tell them. First mic is for just regular, conventional stand-up comedy. Second mic is for true, emotional, sad, confessional stories. Mm -hmm. Third mic just for one-liners that I could not put anywhere in my act. Because I had them, like, stocked up from Twitter. And I would just never... I was like, I wonder if I could ever do something with these. And as a performer, when I'm in the middle mic doing like a sad story about depression or my dad or whatever. Uh, I'm like, man, I can't wait to just get laughs again. There's going to come a time where I can get a laugh again. So it's fun. It's a fun show to perform. So you're thinking that I want the laughs. Maybe that you wonder or worry if the audience is thinking that, which leads me to ask, is the idea of the three mics more for the audience's benefit or did it help you create the show? You having the three mic idea allowed you to go maybe deeper on the yeah. Oh, the stuff. three mic. You can't do the middle mic. I couldn't do anywhere. I couldn't do it at a comedy show. You know, it's way more like the moth or a storytelling show. Well, you say mothy. So we have on Matthew Dix, who's this great storyteller, and we've done like 15 episodes with him where his main thing about what the art of storytelling is, is it has to transform you. It has to take the teller from a place to a place. Mm -hmm. So it can't just be all this crazy shit that happened to me or all this terrible shit that happened to me. It has to be how I changed. Is that something you worked on or did you no, figure that No, that is something that you're 100% right. That's, I know from good storytelling... Yeah, you do need it from movies, from narrative. You just need a narrative. You need to start at one place. The uh, it's funny. Uh, I had a tweet one time: is people be changing in movies? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, it's like wow, that guy really changed. Yeah. He really, that guy really. I went. thought I knew him. Yeah, I thought I knew uh, Training Day. Yeah, and it turns out he learned some stuff. So that's what you're looking for. Is otherwise, it's just an anecdote. Otherwise, it's just like, then I got my penis caught in a train or whatever. Then it's not. To not, quote training day. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. That's what training day is about. Uh, <laughs> do you think your experience with Chappelle, your experience with Amy Schumer, you do a lot of directing on Inside Amy Schumer? I did the first season, yeah. Okay. Are great sketches like smaller great narratives where there's a change, or is that not where we find the pleasure in great sketches? I think it depends on what the sketch is. Something like the uh, like the blind white supremacist, the Chappelle Clayton thing. Clayton Bigsby. Clayton Bigsby. Yeah. Thank you. Why not tell him he's African American? Listen, man, it's too important to the movement. Well, tell him he's black. He probably kill himself just to be one less nigger around. His commitment is that deep. Yeah, if it's structured that way, yeah, you can. But I, it's not absolutely not required. Like R. Kelly 
didn't learn anything in the piss on you video. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some are just, you know, some are just. He started off as Rick James and he ended <laughs> yeah. up as Rick James, yeah. bitch. Although, you know, we did a, yeah, exactly. He came in as Rick James. <laughs> Although, you know what's funny? Yeah. There is a wrap up. Rick gives a wrap up. He's like, isn't that crazy? All these years later, I'm on your show talking about Charlie Murphy. <laughs> Like he right. came to like uh, his own Rick, Rick his own himself. Oliver Stone yeah. in a helicopter. Yeah, exactly. Moment. So, yeah. but yeah, and even Schumer, we did a gangbang sketch where Schumer <laughs> realized some things about feminism. So if you again, if that's the way the structure set up, then then great. But if not, then it's not fatal or even important. We're not pieces of meat. Don't you find it to be a little unfeminist? Do you only want to have sex with me because I'm not that into it? Sounds like you want to be objectified, don't you think? Some of the one-liners, I think there's as much truth and insight in the one-liners as the I'm sh- as the I saw you tweet stuff. about the one-liner, the, the, the Skrillex you... one, <laughs> <laughs> the Skrillex one, which died a horrible death on Seth Meyers the other night, <gasps> to the point where I didn't do it in the show last night because it died such a horrible death the night before. Hold on, is Skrillex a dated reference? <laughs> no, they didn't know. He's an obscure reference, is what he is. Is he? Yeah. All right. People it's not don't... like I'm cutting edge, but I thought he no, but I, sold the a lot Seth's of audience is yeah. like touristy. Okay. So they were like, they were confused. Like it was stone cold silence. And what about the Peyton Manning joke? The joke was Peyton Manning is so beloved that he could stab an old lady in public and everybody, and we'd find a way to forgive him. We'd be like, you know, we all talk about stabbing old ladies. Peyton had the guts to do it. That has been Cut changed. to actual events. I know. I know. If I were black, I would stand in front of tanning salons all day and laugh at the customers. (laughs) The internet is like a choose-your-own-adventure book, except every adventure ends with me masturbating. (laughs) Thank you for the woo. (laughs) Getting a neck tattoo is people's way of saying, yeah, minimum wage is fine with me. Okay, so we haven't talked about the middle stuff, which is a lot about your life and your, do I have to say your struggle with depression? I, your, I, I think it's whatever. more like your It's more my interaction depression. with yeah. depression. Yes, that's right. Because like I say, it's not, it was never life-threatening. Yeah. I was never suicidal. It, just, it was like life-dampening. It was just kind of like, mm. it made life less uh, enjoyable. Uh, yeah, it was, I've had it as long as I uh, can remember. And, and I've done just a lot of stuff to try to combat it various pretty much every medication you've probably heard of you know the the ones i can afford to advertise and then most recently in the last year i've tried ketamine mm-hmm. which the post the washington post just did a big piece about two weeks ago i heard about it on like reddit found a guy and did it and in a doctor's office like a regular highlights magazine us weekly doctor's office go into a, a room he puts an iv in my arm and I trip my face off for 45 minutes, like gone, like on a, in a little pod in a netherworld as created by the Wachowski brothers, like gone. Yeah. Uh, did that. Well, now brother and sister. I know. You know what? I don't call it. Yeah, I shouldn't. Yeah. I shouldn't say brother. Yeah. Um, so did ketamine, other than the 45 minutes of tripping. Did it six times. Okay. In two weeks. Okay. Huge. Other than uh, the didn't, didn't, 225 minutes of tripping. Yeah. Wow. It, the long-term side effects were not worth it. They, it was very, my eyes burnt for three months. Uh-huh. The doctor was like, I've never heard of that before. I was like, well, it's happening. And I was nauseous, groggy, it sucked. Then I tried something called TMS, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation. By the way, covered by a lot of insurances. 
It's covered by Aetna, covered yeah. by uh, Blue Cross. It's like going to a dentist's office. You know when they you get an x-ray? It's like that, but they go to uh, an area of your skull, and it's it's uh, sort of a flatter instrument on an arm, and they shoot your... They, sh- they shoot magnetic pulses into your head for, like... So it's like, not electroshock. It's magnetic pulses. No, pulse. it's not electroshock. It's not cuckoo's no, nest. No, yeah. it's not. How does it not, make you feel? I literally just watch TV. I would watch The Daily Show. I would watch the repeat of The Daily Show and get it done. It feels like it neither comfortable nor that uncomfortable. It's just odd more yeah. than anything. Or that or The Daily Show. Because Trevor Noah, I think, has not yet found its footing. I would. I have some thoughts on that. Um, Trevor's a friend of mine, and, and I think he is on his way, okay. and I think he has found his footing. I think he will get better. I think he's had an impossible task. Literally impossible. You just missed John. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. There's, unless someone just did John... Which, you know, Samantha is basically doing on that show. So go to watch Samantha's show. Trevor's doing another show. Trevor's got a different comedic voice. It's I said in an interview, it's like assailing uh, Jimmy Fallon for not doing Karnak. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not his bit. Okay, I totally, we could debate this. Not debate it, I could agree. But I totally derailed you because it was just the, what does the... I don't even know what I was talking uh, about. What does the TMS... I don't even know where I am. Is it TMS? TMS. Right, right. Transcranial magnetic stimulation. Okay, so during it, almost no effect afterwards. The most helpful depression treatment I've ever had in my life. Wow. Was able to go off an entire class of medication. Uh, I was able to go off an SSRI on... Basically, after day two, they were like, dude, this never works this quickly. I was like, it works great for me. I used to walk around and felt like I had like a heavy heaviness, like a heavy like plate on the front left part of my head. And it gone, it left on day two and it hasn't come back. And the effects last for years. And I can go back for, I could get another round of treatment. It's, I did 45 rounds, 45 half hours. So wow. I, I, a lot of the stuff I say about depression is to dispel the myth that depressed people are feeling sorry for themselves or lazy and 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 just can't get out of a bad mood it's not like that it's people that are trying hard to to fix them to feel better depression how did it affect the comedy second question is how does now having the plate removed affect the uh the having the plate removed people said when when I started doing TMS, like, what is going on with you? Because I would I would kill on stage forty percent harder. Because mm-hmm. I didn't, I wasn't sad. I was there was no heaviness to me. There was I could. It's like I call it. I had life force. So are you saying the maybe you got more entertaining? Did you think? Yeah. The jo- did the I jokes think I get got better? Or the jokes. Perform- I don't know. In terms of writing, I'm okay. still like I don't know what when I what creates fertility in me. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. Uh. It's a guessing game. I, there, hopefully there's like a baseline that's pretty consistent, but there have been periods where I was very, very productive. So uh, in terms of, I think it's good. I think it's better than it was for sure. When you weren't getting the best treatment, did you do that thing where you tell yourself, well, people tell themselves a lot of stuff, but a lot of times people tell themselves, well, I need this depression. It fuels me. No, fuels I never work. bought that. I yeah. always tell people like, you know, Chappelle show, I wrote it high on Zoloft. <laughs> so... You know, the idea that that's somehow like... Did you I like that it. show? Yeah. Yeah, did that, you like was, it? It's all... Thanks, Olaf. Mood dampener. Yeah. yeah. Did it worry you? No, I don't... You, look, man, I I described depression in the show as uh, a virus that attacks your brain with negative thoughts. So I don't feel like the negative thoughts were a fuel. They were just a hindrance. They were just a, a nuisance. I didn't feel like 
the I, I guess comedy comes out of pain, all that stuff. But comedy also just comes out of having a good brain and being observant and having a standard for people. I know a lot of comedians that are not depressed at all. So you have 10 brothers, no, nine brothers nine and brothers sisters, sisters, you're one yeah. of 10, which is crazy because if you told people, you know, I have six brothers and sisters, they'd go, oh my God. Yeah. And you have almost 50% have, yes. more than yeah. that. Yeah. No, it's too many kids. <laughs> are they, what's their mental state? Do you think growing up in that environment I affected your I would say, because my father's an alcoholic and he was violent and stuff, so I think we all handle it in different ways ways i think it's like i've always likened it to to bring my platoon to vietnam vets where everyone kind of copes in their way so one person is dour one person uh you know tries to please my dad one person's angry one person you know it's and luckily like, with 10 of you you could have yeah, the you whole really panoply a lot of, of human existence yeah, yeah. a lot of variety. it's a great experiment it's pretty <laughs> great come by the house next family reunion we're going to be at the uh, atlantic city convention center where are you in birth order by the way youngest oh so that probably affects you as much as anything else. I think most importantly in terms of how it affected me is I've been arguing with adults since I was five. I was able to see a bigger world than I would have otherwise. That's the advantage of having older brothers in general anyway. Marin always talks about that. Yeah. Like the brother. Oh yeah. The older show. brother. What cool, yeah. what yeah. cool music did he yeah. expose you to? Man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, by the way, I'm the only person to ever tell Marin to throw out our episode of D WTF. Did he? Yep. I think he said that on the show. Yeah. He said, he didn't tell me who you were, but now we've closed the circle. When yeah. I interviewed him, I think he said one time I threw out an episode. Yeah. Why? Because he doesn't respect me. Oh. And I'm not going to go, I'm not going to let someone. It was too confrontational. It's just like, it was... no, it's too, he's just condescending. Yeah. It's like, why would I have that as a sample of an interaction with me? Is the champs coming champs back? Champs is, think we're retired unless we get an influx of black people to do it. <laughs> You've uh, run out of you've run, run out of, out of black, black people that I know. The okay. the, the ah. end was that I couldn't. I directed a Nike commercial and texted Richard Sherman, the football player, if he would do the podcast. And it was like the silence was so chilling that I was like, I can't be directing commercials and then be like, also, Mister, can you come on my podcast? It was just too moochy. Uh, and also, black dudes for the most part don't know about podcasts. They just don't care. They're like, what? That's changing. It is changing, but but it's not changing fast enough. Yeah, well, it'll change as soon as there's one or two. I mean, the Reed's a really good podcast. Yeah. There's the loudspeaker network. But once there's, there's going to be a serial for black, for black people. Black people loved uh, making murder. So yeah. Dave did a joke, or as black people call it, duh. <laughs> uh, uh, which is, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like science fiction for black people. Like, wait a minute, this happens to white people too? <laughs> So yeah, so that's that's so you may be right. Obama, you met him. Yeah, he loves Chappelle. Yeah, he was a big fan. I and but I heard genuine. that before. Yeah. yeah, no, I'd heard it. Obama, Senator Obama, saw Charlie Murphy and Donnell in an airport, and was like, "Oh man, my wife loves your show." And then so uh, when I met him at the correspondence dinner, before you get like, there's like a, a little like reception thing before the the actual correspondence center and the line was like me john mulaney david remnick john ham and we were all panicking over like what do we call michelle <laughs> mr president and then uh, mrs mrs lady we didn't we literally didn't know what to, and i think remnick knew but yeah, uh, of those you'd expect remnick to be yeah the one, like, to know. The yeah. one with the staff of fact checkers yeah <laughs> Stop it. Uh, he didn't. He doesn't bring them with him. <laughs> Remnick's wife's beautiful, by the way. 
I was like, I was like, oh, good for you, Renman. Right? <laughs> you um, hope so. Yeah. So he said, like, uh, like when I I introduced myself, and he's like, oh man, uh, we love that show. So it was really cool. And then I got, I took a, you take like the p- official picture, but I was yammering, yeah, during the picture because I thought like I'm gonna get a bunch of shots at this, and then they, of course, they send you the good one because they don't want a bad picture of you in the present, whatever, and they sent me the picture of. Obama looking at Michelle, pointing at me, telling her who I am, which is like That's the awesome. coolest, unbelievably cool. That's awesome. That's yeah. your Mount Rushmore. Thank you. Yeah. That's Neil, pretty sweet. Neil Brennan's new show is Three Mics. It's at the Lynn Redgrave Theater for at least a month. Go check it out. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. And now the spiel going to make you sweat. Last night in a debate where the subtitles for the hearing impaired actually said at one point, unintelligible yelling. (laughs) But that phrase was in parentheses. They got that totally wrong. The policy discussion that should have been in parentheses, mostly the whole thing was unintelligible yelling. This was to politics what car crashes are to NASCAR. And given the general highbrow-minded nature of the Republican race, afterwards, once more, Donald Trump did that thing where he focused on Marco Rubio's profuse perspiration. Problem with Marco, he's a choke artist. He chokes, and he did it in front of Chris Christie. I've never seen anything like that. I was standing right next to him. I look over, I say, are you okay? I mean, he was. it looked like he just came out of a swimming pool. He was soaking wet. Not to be outdone, not to keep his powder dry, on the trail today, Marco Rubio responded in kind. First he had this little makeup thing applying, like, makeup around his mustache, because he had one of those sweat mustaches. Then, then he asked for a full-length mirror. I don't know why, because the podium goes up to here, but he wanted a full-length mirror. Maybe to make sure his pants weren't wet. I don't know. Then... The Republican nomination, strong enough for a man, but made for a really, really sweatless man. You know where there is one place where you can't let them see a sweat? It's the operating room. Also, when making a fruit salad. The fruit salad of their life is what I would look at. I've just mentioned two of Dr. Ben Carson's more awesome statements during the debate, but here was the awesomest. Response. Can somebody attack me, please? Okay, here, here, Wolf. Because Ben Carson wanted more time, and if you mention Ben Carson's name, he'd get more time. But this plea, this plaintive plea, can somebody please attack me, went unheeded. Until now, I will hereby attack Ben Carson. Get out. Get out of the race. We need someone to bring down Trump. Rubio was doing it. Cruz was doing it. Kasich is rational. What are you doing there? You don't, don't talk fruit salad preparation. We need either the sniveling Ted Cruz or the attack dog Marco Rubio, that version of him. We need to deflate Le Grand Orange Balloon. And you're just going on about, well, the grapefruit can overwhelm the fruit salad. Leave, Ben. Leave. Can we be honest for a second here? Can we be brutally honest? The reason you're running for president is that once at a prayer breakfast, you compared Obamacare to slavery. And hey, you're a black doctor, and that's about as deep as the Republican mind goes. Hey, let's get the black doctor to criticize Obamacare and to use the slavery metaphor. And then you ran and you popped for a time in Iowa. You briefly popped like a grape to the top of the fruit salad. Iowans are loons. It doesn't matter. You never had any business in the race. You're not going to win. You're just a distraction. Like when a fruit salad is served inside a carved out melon and you say to yourself, oh, they'll probably be extra pieces 
pieces of melon, but there aren't because they used all the good melon in the fruit salad. Get out. Get out, Ben. You're worse than an unripened honeydew. Okay, now that I've taken care of attacking Ben Carson, I guess we have handled all the craziness of the... Oh, no. Who's this? On stage in Texas... It's New Jersey governor and possessor of a 29% approval rating from his constituents. He is endorsing Donald Trump. Christie ticked through the regular reasons and ended on this note. I can guarantee you that the one person that Hillary and Bill Clinton do not want to see on that stage come next September is Donald Trump. This is totally untrue. Hillary and Bill Clinton desperately want to run against Donald Trump. If you listen to what they say, they don't talk about any of the candidates. They never mention Marco Rubio. They always mention, hey, you got to vote for me because we might be running against Donald Trump. They're relishing the chance to run against Donald Trump. Christie continued. They know how to run the standard political playbook against uh, junior senators um, and run them around the block. They have one experience running against a junior senator. His name was Barack Obama. How'd that work out for Bill and Hillary Clinton? But do go on. They do not know the playbook with Donald Trump because he is rewriting the playbook. In fact, he's rewriting it in crayon. He's borrowing heavily from the series Truly Tasteless Jokes. He's rewriting that playbook so the words honor and lightweight are misspelled. He's rewriting the playbook so that huge has no H and policies have no details. His font is 36. His footnotes are, oh, I just listened to the generals from TV. And his bullet points are actually points from bullets. Dude loves the Second Amendment. Let me tell you what this reminds me of, that you got to vote for Trump. He's crazy. He's going to have a crazy playbook. When the Jets signed Tim Tebow, they didn't have a real good plan for him. They weren't going to let him be quarterback, which actually turned out to be a good thing. But what they said is, we'll put him in on punts, and other teams will have to game plan for him. They won't know what to do. It'll be so crazy. And maybe it was crazy, but you know what else it was? unbelievably ineffective. He just didn't work out. So yeah, maybe the playbook is a playbook nobody's ever seen, but all the plays are two yards and right into the ground. Thank you. I just used a New Jersey Jet Tebow analogy to try to reach Chris Christie. Also Donald Trump, who says he was once a terrific athlete. Then Chris Christie ended with these words. The best person to beat Hillary Clinton in November on that stage last night is undoubtedly Donald Trump. And I have to say, that is important because this is the one guy who's ever endorsed Donald Trump, including Sarah Palin, so one guy and all the former governors and current governors who are only Christie, who actually knows the word is undoubtedly, not undoubtedly. And I would say that's trouble for the rest of the candidates because Chris Christie, even though he went nowhere presidentially and his own state treats him as a disaster, you know, he is a legitimate candidate and people do like Chris Christie. I would say today... Donald Trump got more legitimacy than he ever has in his presidential race. This has been an unpredictable, entertaining, and surprising primary. It will be the most entertaining I'm sure we'll ever see. But I'm not worried. I am thoroughly entertained. While it's true that the fate of America and possibly humanity hangs in the balance, I'm not going to worry. I think we'll be fine. Because all we have to rely upon are swing voters in swing states and their love of Hillary Clinton. So come on, low-information voter from Sandusky, Ohio. It's your job to save us from oblivion. I know you can do it. That's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi is like the tuna in the Niçois salad of our lives. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, is substantive and nourishing. He is the walnut 
in the Waldorf salad. Andy Bowers is chief content officer of the Panoply Network. He is cleansing. He's good for the gut bacteria. He's the endive in the endive salad. The gist, we never aspire to be more than a jello salad, but we use real Cool Whip. Oom peru de peru du peru, and thanks for listening.